New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Michael Johnston and today I'm joined by our Executive Director, Oliver Hartwich. We're going to talk about the public service and in particular how the public service is run and how to maintain its political neutrality. So you've had some thoughts about this, Oliver, and it was on the back perhaps of the sacking of Rob Campbell from his positions earlier this week. Yeah, that's what triggered my latest round of thoughts, but I've been thinking about this for a while. I always found the way the New Zealand Public Service runs a bit strange, to put it mildly. But that's probably because I come from a different culture and a different country where things are organized differently. What I find strange about the New Zealand setup, it is based on the Westminster system, the idea of a neutral public service that you just mentioned. But it's taken that to... I think an even more extreme position than even Westminster ever had. So we have a public service commission. The public service commission appoints the chief execs of our ministries. And ministers don't have anything to do with these appointment processes. So I always found it strange that a minister would have to deal with the chief exec of his or her ministry, and they might not even get on. If you think about it in a corporate sense, it would be very unusual for a chair and a CEO to have a relationship where the chair has absolutely no say in picking the CEO. Most chairs would actually think, well, that's part of the job, right? But in the ministries, this is pretty much commonplace. So ministers have no choice. They have a bit of a choice when it comes to reappointing someone. But basically, they are just given a chief executive and told to get on with them. And I found this whole relationship very strange. And actually, we had this discussion then in the context of the sacking of Rob Campbell, just how neutral the public service still is, how how neutral it should be, how much political opinions we should allow for senior public servants. And so I thought, well, then let's compare this with other experiences in other countries. And the country I'm most familiar with still is Germany. And there we can see an alternative to this modified Westminster system. Yeah, okay. So we'll come to that in a minute. But first, let's actually reflect on how the relationship between ministers and their ministries or, or, or uh, departments might have changed over the last couple of decades. Because it, it seems to be perhaps more of a problem now than it was then. And it, it's not as if the model has changed in that time. Mm. No, the model has been there for a while. I mean, we had some changes, some recent changes to the Public Service Act. But I've also talked with people who used to work in the system 30, 40, sometimes 50 years ago. Mm. And from these conversations, my impression is actually that the public service used to work a little bit differently back then. The one word I heard more often than anything else is the word professionalism. Yes. So the idea that you have a highly sophisticated public service working diligently and professionally with ministers of the day, no matter which party they're from, was widespread from what I understand in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. And there was no problem really for public servants dealing with different ministers and changes of government because they had this very professional ethos. They might privately disagree with ministers, but their job would be to implement whatever the minister of the day would like to do. And if public servants really couldn't live with any of that, they could always resign. Yes. So that was the idea. What's changed, I think, in the last maybe 10, 20 years is that degree of professionalism has given way to a degree of activism. 
So it is not unheard of these days to have ministries define their own vision papers and statements. They would actually, independent of their ministers, develop their own ethos and their own policy goals and frameworks of thinking about policy. And then it doesn't really matter who the minister is anymore. I mean, previously it didn't matter who the public servant is. Now it doesn't matter what the minister is because the ministry itself has its own agenda. So they've kind of taken control in, in some respects or at least not given ministers the control that they should have. And we might think that that is itself a politicisation of the public service. Not in a party or, or, political albeit, sense. Yeah, yeah albeit yeah. by stealth or under the radar, the ministries and, and other Crown agencies have gone into this mode mm -hmm. where, as you say, they've become more activist. And we, we can probably see something similar in, in the media. I've certainly known very senior and experienced journalists complaining about how new generation journalists are really not schooled in objectivity, in giving both sides of the story, and instead see it as their job to push a particular agenda. Yeah, I think there is a great degree of truth in that. It's not so much that journalists have turned into activists, it's the other way around. It's that the activists have become, become journalists. journalists. And in some cases, the activists have become bureaucrats, public servants. Right. So th there is a problem. And the problem, perhaps at the moment, is not even that visible because we have a public service which broadly shares its political views with the government of the day. But that might change in the future, and it might actually be confronted with a political government, so a capital G government, that doesn't share the public services views. And you mentioned before, the ministries are always dictating, or some ministries are always dictating the rough course of direction. I'm thinking of the education ministry. We had different ministers, of course, and different parties in charge of that ministry over the last 20, 30 years. But the broad direction of travel hasn't really changed. No. And you, Michael, pointed that out in your last report on the modern learning environments. It's an idea that started under a national government and was continued under a Labour government, and it was then actually killed by a Labour minister of education. But it was an idea that came out of the bureaucracy. It was not so much a political invention. It was not an invention you know, in any kind of party manifesto. It, it just happened, almost organically. Yes, well, that particular one, it, it, if anything, it was picked up by Hekia Parata when she was Minister of Education, it seemed to be. She was certainly the most enthusiastic, if Hansard is anything to go by. But there are other examples that come to mind, not just from education. So I know that when Bill English was Minister of Finance, Treasury was heavily engaged in developing the living standards framework. So that's a deviation from traditional methods like cost-benefit analysis, it was a different way of thinking. It's basically the preparation for the well-being approach. Bill English at the time actually made this relatively clear that this was not his preferred idea. I remember him giving speeches um, sometimes to our members where he kind of referred to it in a more disparaging way. And it was clear that uh, he had nothing to do with that. It was something that really came out of the ministry and the minister didn't like it. And at the time, I must say, I found that strange because I thought, well, if you're the minister, then you should be in charge. And that was probably when I didn't quite understand just how this setup of the public service in New Zealand really works. Well, of course, they sit there throughout the tenure of one minister and the, the one after and so on. So that they have the continuity, which ministers don't have. So if they have lost that professionalism, that 
deep commitment to political neutrality and are now running agendas of their own, what can we do about it? And, and this might bring us back to your example of Germany. Well, we've had a lot of discussions about that in the media over the last week or so in the wake of the Campbell affair. And the choices are presented as a dichotomy, which I think they aren't. So there are some people who say, well, let's go back to the 1970s and 80s, return to the old Westminster model, have an, a completely independent public service and make it run professionally. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other side says, well, actually, no, let's make this totally political, put the politicians in charge and make the whole public service basically work towards those politicians. What they have in mind is the U.S. model. And we are probably familiar with the fact that when U.S. administrations change, it's not just the president and the secretaries change. It's basically the whole apparatus of Washington. So thousands of people lose their jobs and probably leave and get parked in think tanks around Washington. And the other side of politics then takes over the ministries, the departments. I think actually it's not that much of a dichotomy. You don't have to be either Westminster or the U.S. Mm -hmm. You can be somewhere in between. And the model I have in mind here to just take account of the fact that the public service has changed. It has become a bit more political in an ideological sense. It has probably also lost a bit of its professionalism. And what you want to do is you want to steer it at least a little bit in the direction so that they don't completely ignore their ministers. Right. And the first of those solutions, returning to the 1970s, is probably not realistic. Because, because of the loss of professionalism, it's not easy to rebuild that. That's what I fear. Apart from that, it's a cultural issue. Yes. So we have currently about 62,000 people working in the public service. They are now used to a certain way of doing things, which has developed over the last maybe 20, 30 years. And to turn that around would take an equally long time if that works at all. So I'm not quite sure whether the return to the past is possible. So we probably have to think about a slightly different setup then to tackle that problem. I don't think America is the option for New Zealand because we don't have enough think tanks around Wellington to really take on all of these hundreds and thousands of fired public servants. That wouldn't be practical. I'm not even sure whether it would be desirable because you're losing... It might not be a good fit for the New Zealand initiative. Mm, Potentially not. But in any case, I don't think it would be a good idea anyway because with all of these rounds of firing hundreds and thousands of people, of course, you lose institutional knowledge too. And that must be a huge problem in Washington, I imagine. And I don't really think that that is the way forward for us here. But there are other options. And the one option that I've been thinking about a lot is that German option that I'm also quite familiar with coming from Germany myself. It is where there is still a degree of Westminster-style independence and impartiality in the public service, but that is mainly at the bottom rungs and middle levels of the public service. Whereas in the leadership teams of ministries, you often have political appointments. And by the way, we're not talking about hundreds. We're talking about maybe just a few, a couple, maybe four or five. So you'd be talking about the the chief executive and perhaps the top tier of management. Exactly. And I think we also have to see the other side of that German system because it complements it. It is a highly qualified public service. Much more qualified, I would say, than the public services in New Zealand. So the requirements are stricter 
to become a public servant. But then you're also there basically for life. You are protected. You're enjoying massive privileges as a public servant. You can't be fired. Mm. At the same time, you're required to give full loyalty to the state and to work professionally and diligently and in a politically neutral fashion. So in that system, Germany has built up a really technically competent and functional public service of a kind that I don't think we have in New Zealand. I've criticized this in the past, actually, public sector recruitment in New Zealand, and what I find is a problem here is that we don't even specify what we would like to see in applicants for public service jobs. My favorite example was a treasury job advertised last year, a senior position in the economic strategy unit at Treasury, where basically only soft skills were listed. And then at the bottom of the job advert, it said, knowledge of economics is not essential. It didn't specify any other hard skills that the, the candidate needed. And so anyone could have applied. Again, in Germany, this would be unthinkable. In Germany, it's specified who you want. Do you want an accountant, a lawyer, an economist, or whatever? You write this in, and if the candidate then doesn't have these skills and qualifications, well, they needn't apply because they couldn't legally be hired. So with that kind of different recruitment ethos, you create a different workforce. And that is highly professional and highly skilled, highly trained and neutral. But the flip side of that is at the top end of the ministries, you have political appointments. And as I said, not many of them, but they are political. Just to give you an example, maybe a few examples. In the German economics ministry, it's now the Ministry for Economics and Climate Change. It is led by a Greens politician, the Vice-Chancellor, so Deputy Chancellor Robert Habeck, so the Deputy to Olaf Scholz. Now, he has appointed four state secretaries, and these state secretaries run the ministry. They run individual divisions within the ministry, and all of them are political. All of them come from the Green Party. One of them used to work in state ministries in Schleswig-Holstein, but also as an advisor to a liberal minister in the 90s. That's Udo Philipp. There is another one, a former lobbyist and think tanker, heavily engaged in renewable energies, Patrick Reichen. Then there is Anja Heiduck, and she is a former state senator from the state of Hamburg. And then there is Sven Giegold, also quite a colorful character. He was one of the co-founders of ATTAC, that was the anti-globalization movement in the early 2000s, later became a Greens MEP, member of the European Parliament, and now state secretary in that economics ministry. And these were the four political appointments. The rest of the ministry is exactly as Robert Habeck inherited it from his predecessor, who was a Christian Democrat. So you have this very professional senior service working towards the new Greens state secretaries and the minister. What it ensures is, of course, that there is control. The minister actually sets the agenda. The political appointments act as a hinge between the minister and the rest of the ministry. And the whole thing worked relatively seamlessly in a transition from one government to the next. Right. I mean, it has a lot of appeal from the perspective that you'll get a public service, in theory at least, which is more aligned to the government of the day and, and its agenda. In New Zealand, of course, we have a population, some perhaps a, a 20th the size of Germany's or something like that, maybe a little more. Well, Germany has 83 million. 83 we've million, got million we've got five. Something. So we've got a much smaller population. Yeah. Do you think that an incoming minister would have enough of a talent pool to draw upon? Because, of course, you want someone who's not only signed up to your agenda, 
but has the expertise to run a large organization. Yes, but you will always have to find someone to do that, no matter whether that's a political appointment or an appointment run by the Public Service Commission. That, that's true, but when the Public Service Commission appoints a CE, they're only looking for perhaps somebody who can run the organization. They don't care about the, the politics. Yeah, but ideally you would like to have both. You would like to have someone who understands the minister's agenda yes. and leanings and philosophy. And you, of course, also want someone who's a competent manager. And so that does lead to my question about the, the size of the pool of possible candidates. I think we shouldn't undersell New Zealand. We've got plenty of talented people in the country. Mm. The difference, I think, is actually in the role of the minister. Now, just take this back to, to uh, the practical example here with Robert Harbeck. So Harbeck comes in, he has previous experience as a minister in a state government, but, of course, working as a federal economics minister and deputy to Olaf Scholz is a different ballgame. He needs people he can trust. He needs people who are able to implement his agenda. And if he had been just given someone who had always been there, that would have made his life a lot harder. Instead, he's, he was able to take people he knew from previous dealings and he knew from his party work and he can trust them to run the ministry in his way. In a similar kind of way, the other departments in the German government have that too. So you look at, for example, the Foreign Office, also run by a Greens politician. It's Annalena Baerbock. She has appointed a former executive director for Greenpeace International as a state secretary and climate change envoy. So again, someone from her side of politics whom the minister trusts. And in the chancellery, meanwhile, is a very interesting appointment, your cookies. He is a former CEO of Goldman Sachs in Germany and a social democrat <laughs> and was appointed by Chancellor Scholz as a state secretary in the chancellery. So it actually opens the door to some appointments that simply wouldn't happen otherwise. They would yeah. not come through the public service. They would not be appointed by a public service commissioner. But these are people that the politicians in charge trust. Now, think about New Zealand. You might have a minister who is not perhaps the greatest CEO who might not have the greatest executive capacity, who might not have the highest ranking actually in the cabinet rankings. So a, a lower-ranked cabinet minister. Now, if you put that minister in charge of, well, what? A ministry? Not quite. But if you make him the minister of whatever, that chief exec in his ministry will basically run the show. The minister wouldn't have enough political capital. The chief exec in the department knows that. Why would the chief exec really take the minister all too seriously? Because there is very limited kind of oversight from the minister anyway. The minister would actually function like a distant chair who would every now and then check in with the chief exec but wouldn't have much say, and the ministry would basically run itself. Yep. That means, actually, that there is limited control. The minister would basically be fired when things go really wrong, even though it's not really the minister's fault. But in any positive sense, the minister wouldn't be able to leave his or her mark on the policy area. Now, imagine the different dynamics. You have a mediocre minister, once again, but at least the minister would now be able to appoint people to run the thing on his or her behalf. So people he could trust or she could trust and do the kinds of appointments that are commonplace in Germany. At least it would make clear that the political agenda is set by politicians who have the democratic legitimacy for that, and the ministries would actually perform according to their wishes. They would actually perform the role then as an independent public service and as a 
as also a politically neutral public service because they would clearly be on the minister's side and work towards the minister's goals, as it should be. I think that would be preferable to the system we currently have. Makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you would really call it politically neutral. It seems to me that what you're doing is accepting the reality that the public service has kind of politicised itself informally and then recognise that by explicitly saying there will be a political element to actually make sure that it stays functional no matter who is in government. Now, yeah, the way I would look at it is actually in a more philosophical way. When you think about the public service being part of the executive branch of government, the only legitimacy that, that we have there, democratic legitimacy, comes from elections. So we elect MPs, the MPs form governments, and this is how the will of the people gets translated into practical politics. The role of the public service is to implement all of this. The role yes. of the public service is not to define politics because for that, nobody has elected the public service. So they will always have to implement. The neutrality element of the public service is not so much in that it has, has to do things that ministers want. It's actually that they do these things no matter what ministers they deal with from what party. They will always have to implement political programs. Yes but they have no choice in whether they like them or not. Yeah. So it's, it's basically, if you, if you think about it this way, it's not so much a political neutrality, it's really a professionalism culture. There's one thing that occurs to me, and I'd be interested to see what you know about how it plays out in Germany. In the model where you just appoint a few people at the top of an organisation, they will, of course, during their tenure, appoint other people, lower down middle managers and so on. Now, if they do that in such a way that those middle managers are politically aligned with them, then somebody else comes into government and the seniors all lose their jobs, but the middle managers don't. So now you have a new chief executive and senior management team, but they're at odds with the middle management who were appointed during, say, the nine years of the previous government. Could you end up with tensions within the organisation that are hard to resolve and deal with because of that? There are tensions occasionally, not just for party political reasons, but just that some philosophies and some old established practices of the ministries no longer really fit the preferences of the minister of the day. And then you will see some people actually even at um, middle management positions exchange now and then. We just had such a case actually in Berlin. It took the Minister of Finance, Christian Lindner, a bit more than a year into government to decide actually he was not happy with the Ministry of Finance and how it was performing and he made some structural changes, exchanging a few middle managers, not so much a state secretary level, that remained untouched, but actually he changed some middle managers because he perceived at least that they would not help his political agenda. So it's happening. Yeah. But it's limited. It's very limited. We're not talking about getting rid of hundreds of public servants. These are really quite strategic changes in key personnel just to make sure that the government of the day is able to operate. Well, thank you for the conversation today. It's a very important issue that's going to persist for some time, I think, and, and I think that we at the initiative will be thinking about it and writing about it in the near future. So it's great to open that conversation today. Thank you. Thank you.